Welcome to Conversation Mill. My name is Rebecca Dale and I am the host of the show. I have a passion for sharing how the creation of thriving local economies benefits us all. I'm fascinated by how we come together to form our communities on a macro and micro scale and how our histories and stories when shared can not only motivate and inspire, but can facilitate understanding. As our communities, large and small, bring back a more progressive Main Street, individuals are stepping out to pursue their passions and local leaders are pushing back against corporate greed. It's time to engage these community leaders and small business owners in conversation. What are the driving forces behind their courage and success and how can we continue to build communities that embrace diversity, support the local economy, and create a healthy ecosystem for the culture at large. Join us now in conversation. Could small family farmers save the world? Seems like an extreme question, but when we start to think about food security or food safety and nutritional value, Family farmers are the solution. From food being shipped from thousand miles away to our plates, they are the solution to knowing exactly what is being used to grow our food and who is growing and packing our food. And most small farmers are eager to share what is happening on their farms and showing the public how sustainable farming protects nature and provides nutritious food for their community. I've always enjoyed the chance to walk a farm or sit with a family farmer. I always learn something new and uncover another aspect or impact of sustainable local farming that I had not considered. In this conversation, that topic is insects. Besides the health benefits associated with eating organically and locally, or the benefits of longer-lasting produce in your fridge because it hasn't traveled days to reach you, purchasing local produce at your local farmer markets or locally sourced grocery stores, you're supporting local economies and building local community. Ian and I joked off mic, in times of trouble or food scarcity, being friends with a farmer is objective number one. I would suggest that you don't wait until it's too late and start supporting small local farmers now so they can support their families and expand their operations so they can provide enough of their chosen crops to support the local radius they service. I so enjoyed walking Wet Knot Farms and recording this conversation with Ian Harding on site. Please enjoy and join us now in conversation. Let's just start with, um, before we jump into some of the questions, just your name and and where we're located today, where we're doing this interview. Cool. Yeah, I'm uh, Ian Harding. I'm the owner and farmer at Wet Knot Farms, along with my wife. She's not here today. She's at her job. Um, but yeah, we are in Marietta, South Carolina on Beaver Dam Road, uh, just off of Highway 25, north of 11. 
It is beautiful out here. It's a beautiful fall day and we're surrounded by the colors and then the greenery of your farm. So it's such a great spot to have this conversation today. Why sustainable farming? Why this life of farming? It can be quite a challenge to take on something like this. What made you pursue that? Yeah, I just felt like it was kind of the right thing to do the more I thought about it. Um, When I was very young, we grew up around um, bigger farms in Pennsylvania, like rural Pennsylvania. So I was always watching tractors, combines, um, that sort of thing just on the front porch. Sure. And I I, just always like, oh, man, it'd be great to be a farmer, but you need like massive amounts of land, really big tractor, all this stuff. And then I, I forget how old I was, but in my 30s for sure. Well, I was like, you know what? I've never actually just looked up like what what does it take to be a farmer? And yeah. then like found all the smaller scale agriculture stuff, um, like kind of the hand scale sort of thing. Sure. And just felt like it really lined up with like the kind of my worldview, like creation care, like this kind of Garden of Eden ideal, like right in producing food in a way that's not poisoning your neighbors at the same time. Like, <laughs> right. there's got to be a way to do that, right? So that was kind of, I guess, the impetus. And then, yeah, once we started having kids, to just like start thinking a little bit more about like what you're eating. Exactly. <laughs> at least I did, where I was like, ah, yeah. Are and we giving them this <laughs> at that time? You weren't farming. What were you doing before? Um, Gosh. <laughs> Let's see. Yeah, I worked at REI for a while in the bike shop there. Um, then worked uh, at a kind of local um, bike industry thing, building bike wheels. Um, got a little burnt out on just the, the whole bike industry thing for a bit and just worked at Tandem for a while and yeah. Traveler's Rest, which was pretty fun. Yeah. But not... Not what I really felt like I ought to be doing. Um, and then when I was doing that, I'd gone on my, I guess, mental journey of what do you have to do to be a farmer. Yeah. I found out about like woofing and stuff like that, looked up local farms. And so I did like a season-long um, apprenticeship at Bioway down in Ware Shoals. Okay. Uh, that was within driving distance. So just Monday through Friday, I went there and then. Worked Saturdays and Sundays at Tandem. Nice. Your farm is called Wet Knot. Where does that name come from? Yeah, Rachel came up with that. Um, She heard it on the radio. They were just talking about, I guess, if you get married while it's raining, it's tying the wet knot. And it's supposed to be good luck Ah. because it's hard to undo. Uh, So it was (laughs) raining when we had gotten married. And then the more we thought about it, like, oh, yeah, you know, kind of has some commitment in there. Um, like, you know, just we're in it for the long haul type thing. Mm. So like, I hope I didn't jinx myself with it. Um, <laughs> and then the other thing that comes up is people maybe assume we're hydroponic and we're not. So. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> it's like, yeah. oh, I didn't even think about that. No. <laughs> I mentioned recently on another podcast how much I love your lettuce. And, and you and I talked about it today when we walked around. Um, I get it from a local grocery store here in, in Greenville. How has the response from the community been to your produce, to your farm, to what you're doing? 
Pretty good. Um, we get a lot of really good feedback about our salad grains and our flowers. Um, Rachel's got a really good eye for design mm. on the flowers. So we plant out only the, the mix of colors we want to use. Um, and then I just think having things grown in the soil um, and in an organic way there's a, a lot of different things plants need. And I think it's a kind of a bit of, of hubris to think we can give them exactly mm. what they need. Um, and synthetic fertilizers, I think do that a lot where they're, they're getting like the, I guess the gummy bears of the, the plant food world. So they eat a ton of it, <laughs> but it's probably not growing the healthiest plant. Right. Right. <laughs> I like that analogy. <laughs> Kind of walk us through everything that you're growing here. How how wide is the variety of stuff that you offer? Um, we've narrowed it down from when I've started. That's for sure. I would just like try and grow everything that sounded interesting, <laughs> yeah. um, which would include a lot of weird stuff that I'd never heard of or eaten before. And sometimes there's a reason. Uh, other times it's something really good, but you can't convince people to like try, try it. Sure. Um, but yeah, we focus on stuff that we can like pack in since we're on such a small space. We have like maybe under half an acre under cultivation. Mm -hmm. um, so things that we can space closely together and have a quick days to maturity. So that's why we do a lot of salad greens is like some in the summer for the baby greens, like sometimes 14 days from seed to harvest, which sure. is really quick. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we're trying to make sure each individual bed on the farm makes a certain amount per year. So whether or not that's one crop of tomatoes or five crops of salad greens, as long as it's hitting that mm -hmm. number, like it's it's pulling its weight. Um, so, yeah, we grow salad greens, which is lettuce, arugula, baby kale, spinach, topsoy, um, baby bok choy, mizuna, Tokyo bacana. Um, cooking greens, so that's like kale, collards, stuff like that. Uh, roots, carrots, radishes, um, beets, uh, tomatoes. So we'll do slicer and um, cherry tomatoes, um, peppers. So shishitos, bell peppers, uh, snacking peppers, bullhorn peppers, a few hot ones, um, cucumbers. Uh, and then we'll do some summer squash. Uh, we've done okra before, but it's... You don't get a high plant density and it, mm. you can't sell it for a lot, even though it grows great. Yeah. Um, and eggplant's kind of the in the same boat where it grows great in the summer, but not not the biggest seller. Um, then for flowers, we have kind of like our workhorse in the summer is probably zinnias. Mm. Um, zinnias, cosmos, and sunflowers. Um, we grow a lot of dahlias in the fall. Um Flowers have a much bigger variety because we just grow tons of different like little fillers and foliage and stuff like that. So yeah. it's we grow a lot more variety of flowers than we do vegetables, that's for sure. <laughs> what grows the best? What do you have the best return on? Oh, uh, dollars or I guess best just uh, harvest. Yeah. Okay. I like our brass baby brassica greens really like it here. And radishes, like the daikons, usually like it here, but this fall they've been not so, not so hot. Mm -hmm. um, 
early in the spring, like we have really good luck with lettuce, but once the summer heat and humidity sets in, um, we'll get a lot more fungal issues on mm. kind of everything. So the, the flowers, we just have a bunch of successions of them to, to deal with that. Gotcha. Um, but Yeah. You guys have done a great job at creating community. I know there's been some challenges like flooding out of a of a former space. Um, and the community really seems to come around you. What does community mean to you? And then also, how did you build that community? Hmm. Yeah, I think communities kind of life. Um, mm-hmm. Like you can't exist on your own, even though that's kind of like the a Western ideal is like to be self-sustaining, self-sufficient. Mm-hmm. Um, but even most of what you are is not you. There's a bunch of microbes and stuff that are allowing you to be alive. Right. Um, but then when you extend that to to people, just realizing we're not independent, we are dependent on other people and that's okay. And they can depend on us too for different things. Just that kind of like, two-way street of even though they're not out or sometimes they are out at the farm like doing actual work when we're like putting skin on a greenhouse or cleaning up after a flood just that kind of communal spirit of like we're in this together Mm. type thing um has that always kind of been your view or did you have to learn that because you're right it is this western idea of self-sufficiency and we seem to have a very hard time t- asking for help. Yeah, no, I've, that's like something I have to learn all the time because um, it's not my <laughs> my go-to. I really don't like asking for help. Um, so, yeah, like the, the community that's kind of grown up around us has been really great because a lot of like when we found this farm property, for instance, like that was someone just said, hey, you know, after our second, like, really big flood at the old farm, like, day of, someone was like, hey, you should go check out this farm. The farmer just moved off it, like. Yeah. And we got in touch with the the landowner and, yeah, within a couple months had, like, the lease signed here. Mm. Um, But that was just, like, people that really care about us and like what we're doing and, like, went out of their way to to help us out with stuff like that. So. Yeah. What are some of, obviously you're mentioning flooding, what are some of the other challenges or setbacks you, you've faced uh, in this farm venture? Oh man, yeah, there's tons of them. Uh, so the the big floods were a big one. Like after the second one, I was kind of contemplating like hanging it up because I was like, man, this is like... <laughs> <laughs> sure. But like, yeah, people were really adamant that we'd not quit then and kind of like pushed it to keep going um then the next year was like really bad too i had um that was 2022 uh yeah surprise brain surgery oh wow in yeah February. So that's that was, a that's that was, a big setback yeah <laughs> so last year was kind of like a non non-farming year almost mm. um so yeah that was that was another big one um but in general, farming's like just, it's always something like it, it rains too much. It's not raining enough. Like, Right. 
you mentioned the brain surgery. Do you mind sharing the story behind that? What oh, happened? Yeah. So I was born with like a dermoid cyst on my left optic nerve. Um, they found it when I was four because I got a concussion. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had monitored it, monitored it through into high school, I think. Um, and then the, the consensus was, well, it hadn't grown, so it's probably probably don't need to do this. Um, but then, yeah, in um, January and February of 2022, I was just having like terrible like migraines, not like do like not getting out of bed. Mm. Um, so after like a, a week or two of that, uh, my wife, Rachel was like, all right, you either need to go to the doctor or stop fussing. Yeah. <laughs> so like went to the, um, TR walk in, uh, because I think that was like during the last wave of COVID. So mm, sure. So I had headaches, so I couldn't go to the normal doctor cause that's a COVID symptom. So, which, worked out great because having to go to the hospital like I, I must have said something or just been really off because before I was done like filling in the check-in work like oh let's just get you back here right like, there's a lot of people waiting and I'm like let's just get this cat scan out of the way I was like oh gosh that's not yeah this this escalated normal. quickly yeah um but yeah so like after that cat scan um at first they thought there was um air in my uh-huh. skull cavity, it it wasn't that. It was that the cyst had burst, so it was just fat Ooh. and stuff in there, which yeah. was what was causing all the the headaches and stuff. So yeah, got to do an ambulance ride. To <laughs> Greenville Hospital did brain surgery there. Took was in there for like a week, something like that. Um, before I got to go home, and then and that was I think I went home February fifteenth, and then was in. Um, like rehab therapy through Roger C. Peace until the end of May. Wow. Um, so yeah, it was pretty, pretty exciting. Really scary at the hospital too. Like for like right after surgery, like I couldn't talk, Mm. um, couldn't, yeah, couldn't communicate even though I was mostly fully aware, but. Wow. So it was like, oh, oh, that's real scary for. Yeah. How long was that from not being able to talk to being able to getting your speech back? It was maybe a day or two of not talking. Mm. Um, and then like through while you're while I was at the hospital, they're doing the um like cognition test every day. They come in like, who are you? Where are you? Why are you here? Um and like towards the end, once I could speak i was saying the wrong thing but could like shake my head no like i know the wrong words are coming out like it i don't know they're just coming out right so and then eventually uh, yeah i got back to like talking walking and wow all that good stuff so powerful yeah well congratulations glad you ran through that that's scary regenerative farming and and working sustainably whenever i talk to farmers that are doing that a big part of the conversation is always like we need to educate the public more on what we're doing and why organic farming is the way to go and supporting local how much of what you do do you consider a responsibility of educating people versus just getting your product out there I th- we do a. I really like talking about farming in my practices. I think most farmers do, and will like talk way too much about it. <laughs> um, 
but I, I feel like, yeah, kind of differentiating what we're doing and why and why that matters is important to explain like why ours costs more mm. than some things. Sure. Um, yeah, because we, we do kind of take that um, or, or with what I consider to be regenerative is we're not mining the soil. We're trying to at least keep the levels of nutrients and organic matter the same, if not build it up. Right. Um, and that that costs a little bit more. Um, yeah, I think as a society, we're maybe coming to a reckoning that there's not more land. We've kind of like tapped right. it out. You can only clear cut so much. And mm. that, I, that's a good bit of the history of farming in the U.S. is like the westward expansion was as we deplete soils in the east, like just there's always more in the west until – now there's, there's not, not. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, just trying to find – and there's always more, you know, chemical fertilizers, too, until there's not is going to be maybe the next. Mm-hmm. But not to be all paranoid about it, but there's only so much right. resources. So. Mm-hmm. Well, you also um, mentioned kind of at the beginning about the, you know, the larger farmers with the huge tractors, and there's a lot of – uh Farmers have to go in debt to buy all that equipment. There's a big uh, outlaying of cash if you're starting as that type of farmer who's, you know, purchasing these giant tractors and combines and then pouring chemicals on your field to keep the things growing and and keep the bugs off. And so you kind of get stuck in that cycle, right? So how does that compare to what you're doing? What was the, your outlay of cash if you if it had to be comparable? Uh, the initial outlay was a lot smaller um, because we, you know, like our two-wheel walking tractor is maybe like 4000 bucks brand new. And mm-hmm. like each implement is maybe like one or 2000 depending on what it is. Um, so you can... If you've saved up, you can pay that in cash. Um, if not, it's not a good idea, but you could put it on a credit card and try and pay it off. I would not suggest that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, the initial outlay was a lot smaller. Um, and then also the initial inputs were a lot smaller, too. Like we were buying packets of seed instead of like a 50-pound bag of right. lettuce seed um, and that sort of thing. So. And then, like, you know, that's my cedar over there. You can get that in a garden store. Right. And I think that, like, the argument always is, like, well, you know, small family farmers can't produce enough to feed, you know, everybody in the country. But that's a misconception. If we have more family farmers feeding people locally, then we do have enough, right? Like, I think so. I don't have any, um, like, data or statistics on that so it's all based on belief but that i believe that's possible and the way to go um i've heard like a lot of the food produced in the or consumed in the world is produced on farms under five acres it's Mm -hmm. just that's more in like less developed countries where that's your only vegetable is what you get locally and that's not shipped in from somewhere else what to you is the importance of eating locally? 
I think there's a environmentally, that's a, a big one. You're cutting down on the food miles. Mm-hmm. Um, you're also keeping local money local instead of sending it off to someone else. I think there's a lot more flexibility in terms of like you can adapt to maybe North Greenville likes one type of tomato and South Greenville doesn't like you can cater to that market like pretty quickly. You don't need to, Mm. then the supply chain is also much, much shorter. I think like that's maybe the one thing we learned in the COVID years is like, right. The thing on the shelf today might not be there tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Um, Then I, I think it, it cuts down on, on that too. With how much you're growing now and selling, are you able to do this full-time yourself? I know you mentioned your wife is working today. So are you in this full-time? I'm working on this full-time, yes. Um, we would like for her to be able to do that in the future as well. Uh, we need to get kind of to that point. Mm-hmm. Um, it would definitely be a reduction of income for sure. Um yeah, just I guess I think that's one of the the other things with local food is people can see the value and work you put into it to understand why mm. like just grocery store food is like devalued and yeah, it costs money, but at least in my head it just doesn't seem like it's a it's so cheap. It's like, well, why would I not just like, uh, I might eat this. I might not. I can throw it away. It's fine. Like, Right, right. <laughs> whereas um, like seeing the work that goes into growing something, I think it, it makes people more likely to like mm. want to eat it and realize why it costs a little bit more um, and tastes better, in my opinion. Yeah, <laughs> in my opinion, too. Um, I, I, I like kind of kind of what you're saying about that that devaluing of of food sort of like i mean any other good right that if you get locally it might cost a little bit more and if you get somewhere else it's going to cost cheaper but it's also probably a cheaper quality so same thing with food it's lacking some nutrition because it's being grown on this massive scale in Mexico and being shipped to South Carolina to our tables yeah i think Anything at the like giant like industrialized scale, it tends to lose. There's only so much like literal ground that you can know really well. Mm. Once it gets to be like too big of a field, like you know, a lot of the really big. I I do watch big tractor power on YouTube with my kids. Uh-huh. It's pretty cool, but yeah. <laughs> like some of the stuff, like the really fancy, like really big tractors do, are things that a human does but only if they know their land well enough. It like adjusts seeding rate based on, oh, there's a bad section, there's a good section. Right. The guy driving the tractor isn't, not that he's not smart, he's not able to know like thousands and thousands of acres that well to know when to adjust things and when not to. Whereas at this scale, like I know which bed, what's going to grow well in most beds Mm -hmm. and can like kind of plan accordingly. Um, but once it gets too big, like you're, a, a human brain can't handle that. So <laughs> Right, right. This return to family farming, uh, regenerative agriculture seems to cross political divides. People on the right and left are getting into it. 
is this something that can unite us across some of these divides? Because this seems like it's maybe one of the only things that people aren't really, no one's like, oh, you're a small family farmer. Like, forget you. Like, yeah. that's <laughs> nobody has a, I don't think anyone has a bad opinion of a family farmer. Yeah. Um, I think it's something to talk about for sure. Like, um, gives people on both sides of the aisle, like, something to talk about where they're not like, at each other's throats, <laughs> yeah. I don't think. Um, it's kind of that community thing that we were talking about a little bit earlier, too, of we do have to rely on each other. And if there ever was a, a food crisis in this country, we're it's going to be very helpful to have a farmer in your community. And that might just be of five people that are your tight-knit circle. To have one of them be a farmer is probably going to be very yeah. useful <laughs> <laughs> to you. Um, and maybe that seems like a universal concept without, and maybe I take that a little bit deeper than other people might on the surface, but it seems like a uniting, possibly a uniting force. I think it can be. Um, the, the weird thing about it is like the second there's any sort of hint of like a, some sort of political buzzword, you can really turn someone off one way or the other. Like, right. Um, so if you mention like environmentally friendly or something like some people will shut down even though they do right the exact same practice maybe for a different reason mm. or um on the flip side if you like mention like oh this is a great like survival food or something right you can turn someone else off and be like oh let's do paranoids like yeah Right. So yeah, you get you gotta be careful. But like at the end of the day, I think yeah, we've had a lot of the farmers I know are just like all over the political spectrum. So it's like sure, yeah, really fun to like kind of like yeah, get to know someone as a person, and then mm -hmm. realize all right, even though online maybe like we can be aggressive towards each other, I know him, and like I feel like he's not that bad of a guy, like, right. It brings the humanity back to those yeah. things. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was trying to say. I think it, it humanizes it. And you're like, I, I think we can talk. Like, we can just need to get the hackles down sometimes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's unfortunate that so many things have been politi politicized. And so many words or concepts have to be political issues versus just, we could just talk about it in the in the field and it not have to be a right left thing <laughs> yeah i think i was reading that in like one of those wendell berry essays or something um where the community and i think it was oh man i'm gonna totally butcher all this That's all right. the community didn't want like a mining operation there mm. but like i think he was organizing it but had to be really careful to not mention anything environmental because instantly they were probably like, no, well, no, bring it here. Like, yeah. Once yeah. it's politicized, like, even though it's not in your best interest, like, the language that you use to talk about it can really polarize people. Yeah. Oh, that's such a great point of even when it's in our best interest, if we're already predisposed to thinking that that's not aligned with our values in one way, we're just going to shut down even though it might be the exact same thing, but just different language being used. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. What advice would you have for 
someone considering doing what you're doing and, and starting a, a small farming operation for for a career? Um, so yeah, if, if you're not already gardening at home, that's a great place to start um, with more kind of small scale organic ish farms like popping up all over the place. Like you can find an opportunity to work on one or ideally several before mm. you start your own. And it, it doesn't need to be full time. You can do like part time on most of these. Like no one's farmers always need help. So right. <laughs> like you, you can work something out, but like I would suggest a diversity of experiences so you can see more than one way to do different tasks because you don't know what you don't know mm-hmm. so if you only learn it one way it's the way to do it and maybe it's the worst way to do it you just don't know any other way <laughs> right yeah what do you think's been your biggest like aha moment uh, i've started seeing different insects in a different mm-hmm. way like just the big benefit they provide like earlier this spring i was just paying attention to some yellow jackets while I was picking flowers. And I was like, right now they're actually really helpful. They're going around looking for like larvae on the bottom of the leaves. Later in the year, they're not like, they're just really mad and (laughs) (laughs) sting everything. And then it, um, visiting another farm, um, just paying attention to the diversity of insects on her farm. I was like, there are a lot more, predatory insects here than on mine and i i think it's because of all the native plants growing around um so i've mowed a lot less this year and i think it's been helping so interesting thank you for sharing that i would not have thought i yeah i would really wouldn't have thought of that as a kind of aha moment but i see what you're saying there interesting yeah that was a big one oh what else like just well, the other thing is like maybe not to try so hard that's the wrong way to say it but like (laughs) if you're doing things right things want to grow um Mm. so i i think another kind of big aha moment is a view of farmer as a director like you're kind of setting the stage for the actors that should take the leading role not that's the produce or like also the the different beneficial organisms that are like helping that produce realize its potential so you shouldn't be the you got to get out of the way at some point and not mm. the director's usually not in the middle of the stage for the whole play <laughs> yeah oh <laughs> that's deal. such a so. great analogy yeah one thing that i ask all my guests when uh we wrap up the episode is if you could sit down and have a conversation with somebody like me and you did today whether alive or past, who would you like to sit down with and and talk with? Oh man, <laughs> don't want to do something boring like some famous farmer, <laughs> right? It's all right if you do. <laughs> um, no, I'm going to be real selfish. Okay, Tolkien. Why not? I really yeah. like his books. He's not around anymore, mm-hmm. but I think like just that kind of the general feel I get from his his writings are kind of what pushed me towards more sustainable agriculture is like, that's the way life should be like mm. more hobbity, less. Yeah. 
but yeah, just kind of like flesh that out with him some would be kind of fun to see like what he thought about the the way the world's going now. Mm. Yeah. Type thing. I like that one. I don't know. I'm a big reader, but I'm not I have not read I've not read Tolkien. Oh yeah. Hobbit's really fun. Um and then the Lord of the Rings. But then he's got other other stuff he's written yeah. too that gets kind of like I don't know. <laughs> what is <laughs> pretty nerdy. What's but. your but what's your favorite one? What's one that we should read? If we're gonna read just one just one, one, The Hobbit. It's okay. like pretty lowbrow. But I have good my dad read it to me when I was in second grade. Mm. Um so yeah, I have fond memories of sitting around listening to that. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> Love it. Okay. Adding it to the list. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Ian, for letting me coming out and uh touring your farm and, and having a conversation with you. I mean, I I almost was late because I just wanted to drive around in the mountains. It's so pretty out yeah. here. <laughs> but thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me. Sweet. Thanks. Thank you for being a listener of Conversation Mill. The podcast is growing, but we need your continued support in the form of comments, likes, and subscriptions. If you've enjoyed even one episode, Please take two minutes to comment under the episode or the podcast itself, or rate the podcast. Hitting the subscribe button wherever you listen to the podcast helps tremendously. Every like and subscribe helps me support local businesses and local nonprofits by giving them a platform to tell their stories. Together, we can foster the understanding, diversity, and economies that make our individual communities flourish while creating our own community here at Conversation Mill. Also, you can join us at conversationmill.substack.com where you can become a member and receive weekly member-only content, including member-only episodes. I look forward to sharing a new conversation with you next week. And as always, thank you for your support.